Chapter 7, Part 2 of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter 7, Part 2. Next morning, Don Rodrigo was himself again. The slight compunction that a day will come had awakened in his mind, had vanished with the dreams of the night, and nothing remained but a feeling of deep indignation rendered more vivid by remorse for his passing weakness. The remembrance of his late, almost triumphant walk, of the profound salutations, and the reception he had met with, together with the rallying of his cousin, had contributed not a little to renew his former spirit. Hardly risen, he sent for Griso. Something important, thought the servant to whom the order was given, for the man who bore this assumed name was no less a personage than the head of the bravos, to whom the boldest and most dangerous enterprises were confided, who was the most trusted by his master, and was devoted to him, at all risks, by gratitude and interest. Guilty of murder, he had sought the protection of Don Rodrigo to escape from the pursuit of justice, and he, by taking him into his service, had sheltered him from the reach of persecution. Here, by engaging in every crime that was required of him, he was secured from the punishment of the first fault. To Don Rodrigo the acquisition had been of no small importance, for this Griso, besides being undoubtedly the most courageous of the household, was also a specimen of what his master had been able to attempt with impunity against the laws, so that Don Rodrigo's power was aggrandized both in reality and in common opinion. Griso, said Don Rodrigo, in this emergency it will be seen what you are worth. Before to-morrow Lucia must be in this place. It shall never be said that Griso shrank from the command of his noble protector. Take as many men as you want, dispose and order them as you think best, only let the thing succeed well, but above all be sure do her no harm senor a little fright that she may not make too much noise one cannot do less fear i see is inevitable but don't you touch a hair of her head and above all treat her with the greatest respect do you understand senor i could not pluck a flower from its stalk and bring it to your lordship without touching it a little but i will do mo no more than is necessary beware you do not and how will you manage i was thinking senor it is fortunate that the house is at the end of the village we shall want a place to conceal ourselves in and at a little distance there's that uninhabited building in the middle of the fields that house but your lordship knows nothing of these things a house that was burnt down a few days ago and there have been no funds to rebuild it, so it is forsaken, and is haunted by witches. But it is not Saturday, and I don't care for them. The villages are so superstitious. They wouldn't enter it any night of the week for a treasure, so we may safely dispose ourselves there, without any fear of being disturbed in our plans. Very good. And what then? Here Griso went on to propose, and Don Rodrigo to discuss, till they had, together, concerted a way to bring the enterprise to an end without a trace of its authors remaining. 
They even contrived means to turn all suspicions by making false indications upon another quarter, to impose silence upon poor Agnes, to inspire Renzo with such fear as would overbalance his grief, efface the thought of having recourse to the law, and even the wish to complain, and arranged all the other minor villainies necessary to the success of this principal one. We will omit the account of these consultations, however, because, as the reader will perceive, they are not necessary to the comprehension of the story, and it will only be tedious, both to him and us, to entertain ourselves for any length of time with the discussions of these two detestable villains. It will suffice to say that, as Griso was on the point of leaving the room, to go about the execution of his undertaking at once don rodrigo called him back and said listen if by any chance this rash clown should molest you to-night it would not be amiss if you were to give him something to remember on his shoulders by way of anticipation by this means the command to keep quiet which shall be intimated to him to-morrow will more surely take effect but don't go look for him, lest you should spoil what is of more importance. Do you understand me? Leave it to me, replied Griso, bowing with an obsequious and ostentatious air as he departed. The morning was spent in reconnoitering the neighborhood. The feigned beggar who had intruded himself so pertinaciously into Agnes's humble cottage was no other than Griso, who had come to get an idea of the plan of the house by sight the pretended passengers were his vile followers who operating under his orders required a less minute acquaintance with the place their observations being made they withdrew from notice lest they should excite too much suspicion when they returned to the palace griso made his report arranged definitely the plan of the enterprise assigned to each his different part then gave his instructions all this could not be transacted without the old servant's observation who with his eyes and ears constantly on the alert discovered that they were plotting some great undertaking by dint of watching and questioning getting half a hint here and another half there commenting in his own mind on ambiguous inferences and interpreting mysterious departures he at length came to a pretty clear knowledge of all the designs of the evening but when he was assured of them it was very near the time and already a small detachment of bravos had left the place and set off to conceal themselves in the ruined building the poor old man although he well knew what a dangerous game he was playing and feared besides that he was doing no efficient service yet failed not to fulfil his engagement he went out under the pretense of taking the air and proceeded in great haste to the convent to give father cristoforo the promised information shortly afterwards a second party of bravos were sent out one or two at a time that they may not appear to be in one company griso made up the rear and then nothing remained but a litter which was to be brought to the place of rendezvous after dark when they were all assembled there, Griso dispatched three of them to the inn in the village. 
One was to place himself at the door to watch the movements on the street and to give notice when all the inhabitants had retired to rest. The other two were to remain inside, gaming and drinking as if enjoying themselves, but were also to be on the lookout. If anything was to be seen, Griso, with the body of the troop, waited in the ambuscade till the time of action should arrive. The poor old man was still on his way, the three scouts had arrived at their post, and the sun was setting, when Renzo entered the cottage and said to the woman, Tonio and Gervasi are outside. I am going with them to sup at the inn, and at the sound of the Ave Maria we will come to fetch you. Come, Lucia, courage. All depends upon a moment. Lucia sighed and replied, Oh, yes, courage with a tone that belied her words. When Renzo and his two companions reached the inn, they found the bravo already there on the watch, leaning with his back against one of the jams of the doorway so as to occupy half its width, his arms folded across his breast, and glancing with a prying look to the right and left, showing alternately the blacks and whites of his two griffin-like eyes, a flat cap of crimson velvet put on sideways covered half a lock of hair which parted on a dark forehead, terminated in tresses confined by a comb at the back of the head. He held in one hand a short cudgel. His weapons, properly speaking, were not visible, but one had only to look at his face, and even a child would have guessed that he had as many under his clothes as he could carry. When Renzo, the foremost of the three, approached him and seemed prepared to enter, the bravo fixed his eyes upon him, without attempting to make way. But the youth, intent on avoiding any questions or disputes, as people generally are who have an intricate undertaking in hand, did not even stop to say, Make room! But, grazing the other doorpost, pushed, side foremost, through the opening left by this caryatides his companions were obliged to practice the same maneuver if they wished to enter when they got in they saw the others whose voices they had heard outside sitting at a table and playing at mora both exclaiming at once and alternately pouring out something to drink from a large flask placed between them they fixed their eyes steadily on the newcomers and one of them especially holding his right hand extended in the air with three enormous fingers just shot forth and from his mouth formed to utter the, uh, the word six which burst forth at the moment eyed renzo from head to foot and glanced first at his companion and then at the one at the door who replied with a nod of the head renzo suspicious and doubtful looked at his friends as if seeing in their countenances an interpretation of all these gestures but their countenances indicated nothing beyond a good appetite the landlord approached to receive his orders and renzo made him accompany him into an adjoining room and ordered some supper who are these strangers asked he in a low voice when his host returned with a coarse tablecloth under his arm and a bottle in his hand i don't know them replied the host spreading the tablecloth what none of them you know he replied he again smoothing the cloth on the table with both of his hands the first rule of our business is not to pry into other people's affairs 
so that even our women are not inquisitive. It would be hard work, with all the multitude of folk that come and go, always like a harbor, when times are good, I mean. But let us cheer up now, for there may come better days. All we care for is whether our customers are honest fellows. Who they are or are not, beyond that, is nothing to us. But come, I will bring you a dish of hash, the like of which you have never tasted. How do you know... Renzo was beginning, but the landlord, already on his way to the kitchen, paid no attention to his inquiry. Here, while he was taking up the stewing pan, in which was the above-mentioned hash, the bravo, who had eyed our youth so closely, accosted the host, and said, in an undertone, "'Who are those good men?' "'Worthy people of the village,' replied he, pouring the hash into the dish." Very well, but what are they called? Who are they? insisted he in a sharp tone. One is called Renzo, replied the host in a low voice. A worthy youth reckoned a silk weaver, who understands his business well. The other is a peasant of the name of Tonio, a good jovial comrade. Pity he has so little, he'd spend it all here. The third is a simpleton who eats willingly whatever is set before him, by your leave. With these words, and a slight bow, he passed between the stove and the interrogator, and carried the dish into the next room. How do you know, resumed Renzo, when he saw him reappear, that they are honest men, if you don't know them? By their actions, my good fellow. Men are known by their actions. Those who drink wine without criticizing it, who show the face of the king upon the counter without pratting, who don't quarrel with other customers, and is they owe a blow to any one, go outside and away from the inn to give it, so that the poor landlord isn't brought into the scrape. These are honest men. However, if one could know everybody to be honest, as we four know one another, it would be better. But why are you so inquisitive on these matters, when you are a bridegroom and ought to have other things in your head. And with this hash before you, enough to make the dead rise again, so saying, he returned to the kitchen. Our author, remarking upon the different manner in which the landlord satisfied these various inquiries, says he was one who in words made great professions of friendship for honest men in general, but in the practice paid much more attention to those who had the character and appearance of knaves, he was, as everyone must perceive, a man of singular character. The slepper was not very blithesome. The two invited guests would have deliberately enjoyed the unusual gratification. But the inviter, preoccupied by the reader knows what, anxious and uneasy at the strange behavior of these incognitos, was impatient for the time of departure. He spoke in an undertone out of respect to the strangers in broken and hurried words. "'What a fine thing!' suddenly exclaimed Gervasi. "'That Renzo wants to marry and is obliged.' Renzo gave him a savage look. Antonio exclaimed, "'Hold your tongue, Simpleton!' accompanying the epithet with a knock of his elbow. The conversation flagged till the end of the meal. Renzo, observing the strictest sobriety, 
managed to help his guests with so much discretion as was to inspire them with sufficient boldness without making them giddy and bewildered supper being over and the bill having been paid by the one who had done the at least execution they had again to pass under the scrutinizing eyes of the three bravos who gazed earnestly at renzo as they had done on his entrance when he had proceeded a few paces from the inn he looked around and saw that he was followed by the two bravos whom he had left sitting in the kitchen so he stood still with his companions as much as to say let us see what these fellows want with me on perceiving however that they were observed they also stopped short and speaking to each other in a suppressed voice turned back again had renzo been near enough to have heard their words the following would have struck him as very strange it will be a fine thing however without counting the drinking money said one of the villains if we can relate on our return to the palace that we made them lay down their arms in a hurry by ourselves too without signor griso here to give the orders and spoil the principal business replied the other see they've discovered something they are stopping back to look at us oh i wish it was later let us turn back or they'll surely suspect us don't you see that people are coming in every direction let us wait till they've all gone to bed there was in fact that stirring that confused buzz which is usually heard in a village on the approach of evening and which shortly afterwards gives place to the solemn stillness of night women arrived from the fields carrying their infants on their backs and holding by the hand of their elder children whom they were hearing repeat their evening prayers well the men bore on their shoulders their spades and different implements of husbandry on the opening of the cottage doors a bright gleam of light sparkled from the fires that were kindled to prepare their humble evening meal in the street might be heard salutations exchanged together with brief and sad remarks on the scarcity of the harvest and the poverty of the times well above all resounded the measured and sonorous tolls of the bell which announced the close of the day when renzo saw that his two indiscreet followers had retired he continued his way amid the increasing darkness occasionally in a low tone refreshing the memories of one or other of the brothers on some point of their duties that they might be likely to forget when he arrived at lucia's cottage the night had quite closed in between the acting of a dreadful thing says a foreign writer who was not wanting in discernment and the first motion all the interim is like a phantasma or a hideous dream lucia had suffered for several hours the horrors of such a dream and agnes Anis herself the author of the design was buried in thought and could scarcely find words to encourage her daughter but at the moment of awaking at the moment when one is called upon to begin the dreaded undertaking the mind is instantaneously transformed a new terror and a new courage succeed those which before struggled within the enterprise presents itself to the mind like a fresh apparition that which at first sight was most dreaded seemed sometimes rendered easy in a moment and on the other hand an obstacle which at first was scarcely noticed becomes formidable the imagination shrinks back alarmed the limbs refuse to fulfil their office and the heart revokes the promises that were made with the greatest confidence at renzo's smothered knock 
Lucia was seized with such terror that, at the moment, she resolved to suffer anything, to be separated from him forever rather than execute the resolution she had made. But when she had stood before her and had said, Here I am, let us go, when all were ready to accompany him without hesitation as a fixed and irrevocable thing, Lucia had neither time nor heart to, to interpose difficulties and almost dragged along. She tremblingly took one arm of her mother and one of her betrothed and set off with the venturesome party. Very softly, in the dark, with the slow steps, they passed the threshold and took the road that led out of the village. The shortest way would have been to have gone through it to reach Don Albandio's house at the other end, but they chose the longer course as being the most retired. After passing along the narrow roads that ran between gardens and fields, they arrived near the house, and there they divided. The two lovers remained hidden behind a corner of the building. Anis was with them, but stood a little forwarder that she might be able to run in time to meet Perpetua and take possession of her. Tonio, with his blackhead of a brother Gervasi, who knew how to do nothing by himself, and without whom nothing could be done, hastened boldly forward and knocked at the door. "'Who is there at such an hour?' cried a voice from the window, that was thrown open at the moment. It was the voice of Perpetua. "'There's nobody ill that I know of, but perhaps some accident has happened?' "'It is I,' replied Tonio, "'with my brother. We want to speak to the Signor Curate.' "'Is this an hour for Christians?' replied Perpetua sharply. "'You have no consideration. Come again to-morrow.' listen i'll come again or not just as you like i've scraped together nobody knows how much money and come to settle that little debt you know of here i had five and twenty fine new berlingi but if one cannot pay never mind i know well enough how to spend these and i'll come again when i've got together some more wait wait i'll go and be back in a moment but why come at such an hour if you can change the hour i have no objection as for me here i am and if you don't want me i'll go no no wait a moment i'll be back with the answer directly so saying she shut the window again at this instant anis left the lovers and saying in a low voice to lucia courage it is but a moment it's only like the drawing of a tooth joined the two brothers at the door and began gasping with tonio so that when Perpetua should return and see her, she might think she was just passing by, and that Tonio had detained her for a moment. End of chapter 7, part 2